Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Palace Off the Top Rope. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen, and on deck for today's episode. We're going to be talking about what the hell else happened this summer. There's a lot of stuff that I didn't get to really talk about on this show. Life gone the way, work gone the way. It was a crazy summer for me at work. Um, you know, a lot of stuff that I was able to cover on here, you know, the success of Barbenheimer and Spider-Verse, but I didn't really get to talk about, you know, Guardians and some of the other movies I checked out this summer. So that'll all be covered today along with a lot of major wrestling news going on right now uh, in both WWE and AEW. There's a lot of positive, but also a lot of negative as well, and I will cover all of that. But we are nearing close to the 2023 NFL season, which I'm super excited for. And with the writer strike going on and movies getting moved to next year and kind of a little bit of a quieter fall, um, there's not going to be much to talk about on the movie side of things. So I'm really glad that football is going to be able to be a nice distraction. And with that, uh, of course, we're going to be starting uh, another football podcast, um, which is going to be fed through the Palace Off the Top Rope socials. But it's going to be its own separate thing. I will be one of the co-hosts of this show, along with Abraham Trevino and Jake Ramirez, who have been, uh, you know, guests on this show. But we're going to be starting our own thing, and it's a collaborative effort, so it's all three of us. It's our podcast. It's not my podcast. It's our podcast. So um, we're going to be coming to you weekly. We're going to be talking about, you know, all the matchups going on, storylines, you know, any trades that happen, predictions on divisional winners, uh, then of course Super Bowl and all that stuff. We're going to be covering from the season, which is coming up starting September 7th and all the way up until Super Bowl 58 from Las Vegas. So we're going to be recording our first episode this weekend and we're also going to unveil a new title for it. We had a podcast title for it, but unfortunately due to an overlooked error, we're going to be have to changing the name of it. But what we're going to do this time is we're going to put it in the hands of the audience. We're going to let you name the show. So Jake, Abraham, and I all each came up with a title, and we're going to put it up as a poll. So right now it's on Facebook, it's on Instagram, it's on X, and you have the opportunity to go vote for the title you want our show to be. So that'll be, you'll get the chance to vote and, and, um, it'll be up all the way up until Saturday when we record the first episode and we will unveil the title of the new podcast, which is going to be covering everything football. So this, uh, this is completely separate from here on Palace Off the Top Rope where I talk about wrestling, movies, anything pop culture really. So that podcast will be dedicated straight for football. And again, with everything going on right now with the strikes, this is going to be a perfect distraction as football usually takes up a lot of my, attention span in the fall but of course there's some stuff still to look forward to here in the fall so you'll still be getting uh this podcast itself you know there's still killers of the flower moon to come uh the trailer for ferrari dropped today with adam driver from director michael mann so a couple of stuff that i'm still excited for but it's it's going to be probably less and less because there's not going to be much to talk about especially box office wise a lot of movies are getting moved and um yeah, there's just a small amount of movies here and there that I want to catch within the next month or so. Um, it's horror movie season, so you're going to be seeing a lot of that. But that's not really my forte, But um, so I probably won't be covering it on here. Uh, my next couple of movies that I probably will be checking out will be, of course, this weekend, The Equalizer 3 with Denzel Washington. Uh, later at the end of the month, we got Expendables 4. Of course, I'll be checking that out. So you'll get reviews of those movies on here, and I'll talk about them. But let's take a quick break. 
When we come back, we're going to talk about everything that's going on that I've missed summer-wise, because there's some movies that I checked out that I wasn't able to talk about on here, but we'll talk about it now as summer movie season has wrapped up. This is Palace Off the Top Rope. We'll be right back. Who are you? The last thing you'll see. The last thing you'll hear. You started a war you might not be able to finish. Lord knows. I'm allergic to bad things. Equalizer 3, only in theaters Thursday. Welcome back to the show, The Equalizer 3, the final chapter from director Antoine Fuqua, starring Denzel Washington in theaters this Friday. I'm going to be checking that one out. Um, so I've kind of seen these movies out of, out of order, I should say. So I started with the second one. My dad always told me about the first one. And I only remember seeing pieces of it while working at the theater. Specifically, I would always catch in on the final act. So guy, finally got to watch the first one this week. Pretty solid movie. Movies like okay in itself, but Denzel Washington is just so good. And sometimes in movies like this, like, all you need is a big movie star performance. And there's only certain actors that can do these kind of movies. So like Denzel's one, you know, Christian Bale's another kind, but you know, also depends on what kind of movie it is. But, you know, for the most part, Denzel is always quality in whatever movie he's in. He's always going to give it a hundred percent in his performance. So even if the Equalizer 3 is not good, I'm hoping like the performance is at least, which I don't really doubt. So looking forward to that. It's kind of like dad movie month this, this, this September, uh, at the theater. So there's this one coming out this weekend and then towards the latter part of September, it's, uh, Expendables 4 with Sylvester Stallone, Jason Statham, and then a whole cast of new characters, including Megan Fox and 50 Cent and Andy Garcia. So that, that's just going to be a lot of fun. I know these movies aren't going to be the best or even like maybe, maybe not even good, but Sometimes it's okay to have bad movies in the theaters. Something that you can just go and just enjoy for like 90 minutes. Um, not everything has to be great. Even though I have this reputation by some of my friends that like all my movies need to be Oscar worthy and all that stuff. It's like, no, it's not even, I enjoy bad movies, but you know, um, I can, uh, I can still call them out for being bad, but I can still enjoy them as well. Um, so, so let's get to, a lot of the summer movies that I get, didn't get to talk about on this show just because either stuff got in the way or, you know, I wasn't able, I ran out of time as far as I like getting to be able to talk about them in the moment that they were released. So let's start off with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which was the third and final chapter in this installment from director James Gunn with this cast of characters, uh, ranging from Chris Pratt and Zoe Zaldana and Rocket Raccoon, voiced by Bradley Cooper, and Vin Diesel voicing Groot, and Batista as freaking Drax the Destroyer. So, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was the best movie that Marvel has put out since Endgame. And I know a lot of people are like, oh my god, how could you disrespect, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home like that? But Spider-Man No Way Home, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. That movie was all about moments. And the moment we're all talking about is, of course, the, the other Spider-Man that show up in that movie, which is really like the last final, like maybe hour of that movie. So, you know, No Way Home is enjoyable, but it's not like, 
overall, it's a really great movie. There's a lot of stuff in there that's really miss, um, and very, it's all over the place, you know, and then bringing in the multiverse and all that stuff. And plus, just some of the choices that they make narratively, it's like, ugh, like, it didn't work for me, but, you know, the moment really surpassed it being a really great movie. So that's why, you remember it as being like some great movie, but it's really the moment you were talking about. Now, in terms of like a story from beginning, middle, and end, I think Guardians has been the best thing that Marvel has put out since Endgame, and there's been a lot of bad here in Marvel, and I think they've really peaked since Avengers Endgame. So I really, it's going to be interesting to see because this ending of Guardians is really feels like the end of an era as far as like these movies being like really really great quality films uh from like visionary directors that actually have a vision so like a james gunn which is why i think guardians was able to be fleshed out the way it was and this is no disrespect to the directors that have you know put out movies like you know peyton reed i like i I love the first two ant-man movies i love the the style and the vibe that he brought to those to those first two installments but then the third one you could really tell I don't know how much of it was him, and I'm not gonna certainly not gonna put all the blame on him. Although he does deserve some of it, but I'm sure there's just a lot more interference from like you know a Kevin Feige and Disney and all that stuff because Marvel is just now the machine now, right? It's it's not really the place to go to. If like if you're a director that has a vision and wants to do like your style, like you're not gonna really get to do that because you kind of have to fall in line with the structure of everything else, and you know th- that goes the same for like the directors that did like the Eternals. Uh, forgot what the name of that girl is. It's Chloe Zhao, I think, who did, uh, who had just won an Oscar and then she did The Eternals, but I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like that fell off the mark. Uh, the director of Shang-Chi did, did really well, but again, it's been a couple of years now and that movie hasn't really left a footprint. Like, I don't really remember much about it. I remember I enjoyed it at the time, but there's just nothing about it that I can really speak to now. It's like, wow, like, remember this and that movie? And I, I can't do it. And uh, everything that Marvel has been doing on TV and all that stuff, some good, but a lot of it bad. Um, it, it's just, it's a lot of miss and it, it's just missing the, the quality and I guess, and I'm not saying that the people don't care about the stuff that they're making anymore in the MCU, but man, you could just totally tell it's so like streamlined and so corporate and so like just about the brand and guardians again, this three, the third installment just felt like a very throwback to the first era of Marvel and just these directors getting to flesh out these stories beginning, middle and end with these characters that we've grown to love. And Guardians 3 was very emotional from the start, so, you know, the the basis of, of it is trying to save Rocket Raccoon, um, and, and you get a real good backstory of Rocket and how he is, why he is, and you under, now everything comes full circle and you understand, like, why he's such a hothead and how he doesn't trust people and all that stuff, you, all of that comes full circle and they, re, James Gunn tells a very, very emotional story. This was probably, you know, save for like the end of infinity war like probably the darkest movie in out of everything marvel's done but dark in in a sense of like how emotional the story is and the place that they have to go to get you to like really feel that emotion and also this is the first time in the guardians movie and really in all of marvel where there's was really a villain um that you like hated like you wanted to see him get theirs and and that's just a credit to the performance uh gosh I, I'm not good with the names of characters and all that geeky stuff, but I think he was called like the High Commander or some, something like that. 
in this Guardians movie, but he was such a good, he played a good asshole and just like a piece of shit that you wanted to see him get his. And the credit to him because a lot of these Marvel villains are just so like, no really razz to them. There's no like, just real imminent threat. And this one did feel threatening, but also just like, ah, man, I just, I want to see him get his. And he does. And again, the, the humor is still there for the Guardians and the, the chemistry is just so great. And again, it was also sad because, you know, this is probably going to be the last time that they're all going to be together. And we know there's going to be probably be more Guardians movies down the line. But this one, it was just a fitting conclusion. Everything was good about it. The action, the comedy, the heart, and just the, the entire journey that you've been on. You felt like it was worth it. There's, and it's really hard to do a, a good third movie. Even though I can talk about a lot of third movies that I like in series. But for the most part, it's really hard to keep that consistency. And pretty much this entire core cast and crew and director have all been together for these three movies. So in the end, I can call it really probably one of the best trilogies. And not just in the Marvel Universe, but overall just in movies in general. These were really, really fun movies. And I'm glad James Gunn was able to finish out his story arc and the way he went out the way he wanted to as he moves on to do all the DC stuff now. But Guardians was a fun movie. Again, it's if you have little, little kids, they may be scared at times. I know if I saw this as a kid, there's some stuff in here. It's like, man, that probably would traumatize me a little bit. But it is the most adult out of the three. It's the most, it's the darkest um, and probably the most emotional Um I don't know if it reaches the emotional lanes of like Endgame or, you know, even Infinity War when everything happens at the end, but it's certainly up there. It's top tier with a lot of the good Marvel movies that came from that era. And again, this just really feels like the really closing of a chapter for Marvel, which is why it it grossed over like 300 million at the box office because it's just, we're we're not getting these these types of Marvel movies anymore. And yes, they have all the IP and yes, we still got the X-Men and the Fantastic Four and all that's and Deadpool to come and I'm sure that stuff specifically will do well but this the wrap up of, the, of this movie just felt like kind of like really the end of an era of, of Marvel being at its peak even though I think Endgame was the ultimate peak this was a nice like palate cleanser even though it was really emotion a really emotional palate cleanser but yeah it just feels like um not that the end is near that these movies are still going to be made like year after year and all the big studios are going to put all their money into them, but I just, it just really feels like it. And we can talk about that a little bit with everything else that kind of like just really kind of underwhelmed in the superhero genre, you know, from the flash to even blue beetle, um, Spider-Man across the spider verse was, um, I think an outlier because the first movie was really well made and it was an Oscar winning movie and it was the follow up to that. And usually when you have all those elements, the second movie is really going to overperform. So yeah, that I would say that was the outlier in that genre, but everything else superhero wise has really just been, uh, and even the hype for like the Marvels is kind of just like, I don't see it anywhere online. And even when Guardians 3 came out, yes, there were crowds for it and all that stuff, but it just didn't feel the same. There wasn't the same vibe of everybody coming out of that movie and just being excited over it and, and over like, you know, what's, what's next to come. Like you just don't feel it anymore. Um, and I don't see it online as well. So again, I know these movies are going to continue to be made. They're going to make a lot of money and all that stuff or as much money as they can to keep justify making them. But I don't know. It just the, 
the thing of them feeling special is just kind of going away. And that's, I think that's including everything. So I'm, I'm going to be curious to see, you know, they did a lot of Batman over these last couple of years and then the flash flopping and that had a lot of Batman in it. So I'm very curious to see how the Batman part two with Robert Pattinson is going to do. But again, there's always going to be outliers. The first movie was really well received, did over 300 million, you know, was nominated for Oscars. So there, again, there's going to be exceptions to the rules, but I still think that we're finally at the beginning or maybe like a peak of superhero fatigue, like where it's really going to start to s- settle in because you, you can tell from the box office returns, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was supposed to be this really big thing and to really kick off the whole multiverse thing with the big bad villain that's going to be like kind of like the next Thanos of their chapter of storytelling and it like died quickly so again we'll, we'll see what happens but Guardians really felt like the end of an era um what else came out that I didn't get to talk about <laughs> Fast X part 10 of Fast and Furious who would have ever thought you go back to 2001 if I time traveled and I told myself there's going to be 10 movies of this thing I would have just laughed it off completely. You know, I can I can deal with maybe like four or five, I would have believed that, but ten movies? The fact that they've stretched it out over this amount of movies is just mind-boggling to me. Um, I thought it, it's, if I'm being like honest and I'm critiquing this like fairly, it was a bad movie, but also it's a part one of a part two, so it had that going against it. And, but why I really enjoyed it, just because I'm so familiar with the cast and the characters that I've just grown to just enjoy them. And, you know, with the additions of John Cena in the last movie, and then bringing back Jason Statham, who's in it for, like, literally 10 seconds. Like, literally, he's in it for, for that long. Um, you know, I mean, I know what these movies are, and I know that there's not going to be that much more substance to it. There's not really that much more twists and turns they can do with it. All they can do is really just... Just lean into the whole over the topness and, and they finally brought in a villain who really just encapsulates all of that and Jason Momoa who played the character of Dante and he's just so different from what anything that's come before in these Fast and Furious movies and the character is such a goof at times and for some reason it worked in this movie for me where I was like okay like he's so stupid over the top. And him going up against a, a serious Dominic Toretto like that, that freaking works for some reason for me. So for that reason, I, I'm able to enjoy it. But I can't say I would recommend it. Like, let's say you've never seen any of these movies. You're going to go in and be like, what the fuck is going on? And this doesn't make any sense. And what is up with this villain? Um, if you watch it without any of that, it just looks like a straight up comedy, which by and large, that's what this franchise has become. Um, I think it really lost its edge after part six. And then, of course, with Paul Walker's passing and all that stuff, really changed just the whole morale of this franchise, even though Vin Diesel is still high up on it and, and all that stuff. But you can tell, like, with directors leaving and friction between actors, you know, there's the whole storyline of of the of Vin Diesel and The Rock. And spoilers for if you haven't seen it, The Rock pops up at the end of this one in a, in a post credit scene alluding to that he's going to be somehow maybe returning to the franchise, but then we heard not so long afterwards that there's going to be kind of like an in-between movie before we get the part two of Fast X. So there's that, but I really think that Dwayne Johnson is going to end up in that final Fast X in some capacity. 
It's supposed to be the end of the the entire main storyline, even though Vin Diesel, at some point earlier this summer, teased that they were possibly thinking about three movies, but at the, that has since been debunked, I think, by the director of Fast X, and saying that, no, there's it's just the part two, the part one and part two of Fast X, and that's it, so... And box office wise, I think it only grossed like about a hundred and fifty million or something like that. Sorry, a hundred and forty-five. I'm looking at it right now. So definitely on the low end of what these movies usually come in. They usually top in around close to two hundred, past the two hundred million mark. Uh, ever since like Fast Five, um, Fast Nine, I'll give a pass because it was still coming on the heels of uh, of us ending in the pandemic woes. So. I won't fault it too much for it grossing a little bit less. But if you look at it overall, in its worldwide gross for Fast X, $704 million, close already to a billion. So this movie is still super huge internationally, which is why these movies still continue to be made and why we will get the, the ending of Fast X for sure. So, But the movie, by and large, I mean, it's a part one of a part two, so it ends in a major cliffhanger. And they even bring back... Again, spoilers, folks, if you haven't seen it. Gal Gadot somehow has made her way back into the franchise. She supposedly died in part six uh, when she fell off the plane. But as we've seen with all of these movies, they bring everybody back. So um, I'm not surprised. I was waiting for them to do it once Wonder Man hit or Wonder Man, Wonder Woman hit really huge for her. I was like, just wait, they're going to write her back into the franchise. And that actually popped up on one of my Facebook memories not too long ago where I said, oh, just watch, they're going to get Gal Gadot back into the Fast and Furious franchise. And sure enough, she pops up literally at the end, doesn't say anything, so we won't find out uh, about the fate of her character until the final movie, which is who knows when that's going to come, you know, with the strike and everything like that. I don't even think they've started to film it yet, so supposed to be out in 2025, I believe, but I don't know. I don't see that happening because they haven't filmed it yet. Let's see what else happened this summer that I didn't get to really talk about on this show. Um, the big surprise was obviously Sound of Freedom, which uh, outgrossed Indiana Jones and freaking Mission Impossible. You know, who would have ever thought? Whoever put money on that movie, like making that much money, like they, I'm sure they banked in a lot. Sound of Freedom, I'm waiting to check out with my dad. It's the one we've been looking into, but we just haven't had the chance to go see it. And it's actually been a quite a popular movie that, at least in art theaters, it's still drawing a really decent enough crowd that they're still pretty busy. So we might wait just a little bit longer until it dies out completely and we can just go, even though right now it's perfect because the kiddos are back in school and all that stuff, but we just haven't really found the time. But we do want to check it out, but it's a huge box office success um grossing 180 million it's number nine uh in the domestic list for this year for top grossing movies so that's a feat in itself and of course the media isn't really talking about it but that's that is huge from a movie that is not from a major studio you know it's got jim caviezel in it but he's not really like that big of a name um obviously the controversy is around you know what the subject matter is and more of the behind the scenes stuff, but I don't know, whether you're left or on the right, you know, there's clashing opinions about this whole thing, so I just look at it from a financial standpoint, and the success of it as a movie is just incredible, and that should be celebrated, so I will point it out on this show, it's one of the biggest stories of the summer, other than Barbenheimer, which is, of course, dominated all of summer, um, what else, 
I mean, most of the stuff I did talk about on here, um, friggin' No Hard Feelings was a smaller type comedy that, you know, it had a, had a movie star in it and Jennifer Lawrence and it did, it did decent at our theater for like the first weekend, you know, it, it had a crowd for it and I know comedies are really a hard sell now, but, and it also wasn't like that good of a movie. Like I think I gave it like a two and a half out of four stars. You know, it's enjoyable. It's watchable if you have nothing else to do. But, you know, we need more movies like this at the theater, right? Where there's just an abundance of just options that you can watch. Like that's, that's cool for like a date night kind of thing or just like on the weekend. Like what do you want to do? Like what do you got? Oh look, there's a new Jennifer Lawrence comedy. You want to check it out? Like we don't know if it's going to be any good, but let's go check it out. So, and I forgot who mentioned on one of their podcasts, like we need like bad movies like that in the theater. So, and there's some people that may have liked it and that's fine, but you know, I thought it was an okay movie. Uh, her performance in it is good. Uh, definitely more better than the other stuff that she's been in more recently. And I know she's been gone for a while as far as like making movies, but it's a nice change of pace. You know, I think she was doing more of the action dramatic stuff, but in a straight up comedy, she was pretty decent. Uh, could it have benefited from a better script? Probably, but you know, I'm not going to harp too much on it cause I'm glad we even got it in the big screen. So that that's, that's a win for me. So, uh, kudos to that movie for that. Um, let's get to the latter part of the summer movie season, which was basically everything in August. So let's start off with, uh, Strays, which was a, a movie I was looking forward to because the, the previews made it look super hilarious and all the red band stuff. It's a movie about dogs, uh, voiced by Will Farrow and Jamie Foxx, and there was, uh, other characters in there. I'm sure I know the actors, but I just haven't looked at the cast list. Um, the movie was what it was, you know, a little bit more raunchier than stuff that we've gotten in, in, in years as far as like comedies. Like it's, there's a really a lot of raunchy stuff that happens in this movie and that may offend some people in the climate that we're in now. It may not, it may not be a movie that works. Like No Hard Feelings was not as raunchy as I thought it was going to be. Um, based on like the trailers and stuff, it was a little bit more, it actually had a, a nice little message in it and and the the characters had a little bit more substance as opposed to it just being a gross out comedy strays on the other hand was a straight up gross out comedy and again there were some points in that movie where i laughed really hard but overall i thought it was okay and again that's all right like not all my movies need to be like oscar oscar winning contenders they can just be a movie that where you escape for 90 minutes and you see it and it doesn't affect you uh going in or even after you're out of the movie it's just something you saw and, and you move on um would i recommend it there's some good laughs in there so i would recommend it for that if that's what you're looking for um if you're not into like if you're too if you'll get grossed out easily and all that stuff because there's some stuff and you're like whoa like how did and this is from i believe it's from universal studios this movie it's like how did they get away with <laughs> putting that into a movie um you, if you're if you're grossed out by that stuff you may not want to check it out and if you're someone that you know you're financially you're just picking and choosing what you want to go see definitely wait for it on streaming i'm sure it'll show up on peacock at some point so um there's that um the other i did a double feature that that weekend um blue beetle from warner brothers and it's part of the dc universe now I need to double check if it's part of the new DC that's going to be going on with James Gunn or I know it was made before he took over, but 
there's been different stuff I've been hearing, so I, I'll probably have to ask Tyler Bishop uh, on whether this Blue Beetle character and this one specifically is going to be incorporated into the new DC. This was really the first, like, and I just mentioned superhero fatigue, but I enjoyed this movie for what it was. Three stars, um, very cheesy, very just, you know, very run-of-the-mill, like everything that we've seen before in superhero movies, especially in origin stories. But what I enjoyed about this one and what a lot of the Hispanic community is going to appreciate is that it was the first one really centered on the Latin community. And there's a lot of, you know, references references and stuff that if you're in a, a pure Latino family, you'll understand all of that. So a lot of this other stuff that happens in the movie may just fly over people's heads because they don't understand the culture. And that's okay, you know. You have, you've gotten yours. This one is one for us, and I know it's not the best movie, but I enjoyed it more specifically on that. But what I will give Blue Beetle credit on is the fact that this was probably the most family-centric superhero movie I've ever seen where everybody's involved from the brothers and the sisters and the uncles and the grandmas and the mother and fathers. Like, they're all, it's all incorporated. Like, they're a main part of that story and, Usually in these, in these movies, like either they kill off the parents or, you know, they make it like a dark thing where it drives like the, um, the protagonist, the superhero to do what he does. But this one is very, very family centric and I enjoyed that a lot and it, and it, it even made me cry really good in a certain scene and I won't give that one away because it's still pretty fresh out there in the theaters. Um, it was number one at the box office this year, but, only grossed about 25 million. Um, people are calling it like obviously it's a it's a bomb obviously because it, I think it did have a a budget over of a hundred million. Then you count into it marketing and all that stuff. And originally this movie was going to be on Max, but again I'm all about big movies like this or any movies in general. Kind of just if you can put it out and distribute it into theaters, that's a win. So um, on that end, it's a success for me. Um, Again, I recommend it. I thought it was a good movie, especially if you're Hispanic Latino. Uh, you will enjoy this a lot. There's a lot of stuff in there that you're just going to get a kick out of and nobody else will understand it. And again, that's okay. Um, but, and then of, of course I love the star, Zolo Mari, Mari Duena, Duena, I think is his name. Uh, the, he's one of the stars of Cobra Kai, which is probably my favorite television show. So I was going to be a big supporter of that. And he was also just really good in this. And I think he's got a good career ahead of him in movies if he just continues on the right path. Um, now, what's interesting about this is that even though it flopped, um, and again, once I get clarification on whether the Blue Beetle character, this version, is going to be included in the DC universe that James Gunn is trying to start, um, I would like to see it see him return and hopefully we get a part two to this movie because I think there's interesting ways you can take it. And then, of course, all the characters were instantly likable. Um, and again, Zolo was good as Jaime Reyes and the family dynamic. If you can keep that as a main core of that story, that's how you can differentiate yourself from all the other superhero movies that you have that family dynamic. So that was awesome. And it's just a fun movie. It's harmless. Again, it's super cheesy and super like by the numbers type movie but the family element is really what separated it from everything else so i enjoyed it sue me um and then of course this past week i checked out gran turismo um i'm not really a video game person as you may well know and i usually like to poke fun at the video gamers but it's all in good fun but some of them take it just very personal for some reason and i had given this movie a lot of 
scrutiny on its way to release just because I didn't really buy the whole true story of an actual video gamer going into the real world of racing and, and, and becoming somewhat of a contender. Like I just, that, that just, that premise just felt laughable to me. It felt like really movie movie, not like based on a true story kind of thing, but you know, um, for what it was, I enjoyed the direction of it from Neil Blomkamp, who's done, done like District 9 and Elysium and Chappie. Um, he's a good director. He's got a good style. So I liked um, all of that stuff that he was incorporating into this and his style. Um, if there were special effects used in this movie, and there's some parts where you can tell, right, where he's in his room and it turns into like a car. And obviously they use special effects for that. But all the racing stuff, uh, all the actual racing scenes that they do, I mean, it looked like it was done practically and for real, so I'll give them credit for that. The movie looks good. It didn't, usually for something like this, um, had they gotten like, you know, a whatever director, uh, they probably would have done a lot of green screen and it probably wouldn't have looked good. It would have looked like a Marvel movie where you could tell it was totally shot on a green screen and they could have done that, but, and if they did, they did a good job of hiding it because, um, all this stuff looked really good. But that's all the positives about that movie. Um, I didn't like the main character in the movie. I thought he had no charisma. And I know it's supposed to be like, oh, it's it's supposed to be based on a, a real person that went into that world. But yeah, but you can also, this is the movie version of that. So your main character has to have charisma. And I didn't buy anything from this main character uh, and everything that he was doing in the movie. The, the script was just so bland. You got two well-known actors in there in Orlando Bloom and David Harbour. But... You can tell they're reading off lines off of this bland script and David Harbour's trying and some of the stuff, but the material is just not there for it to really resonate and elevate this movie. Had it, had it, had it got, had gotten a good script, this probably would have been a better movie and they probably could have gotten a, a, maybe a better performance out of the main character, but yikes, it was very super bland. So, but is it watchable? Yes. Would I recommend it? Probably not. Like I can go without ever seeing this movie ever again, but it wasn't the train wreck that these video game movies usually are, and for the most part, they're usually all bad, um, except for a few, you know, like Sonic, and, you know, I know a lot of people like the new Mortal Kombat, but for the most part, these movies are always pretty bad, and had it, had a nothing, a nobody director, it probably would have been bad, but the fact that I had Neil Blancamp, and he's been away for a while, but this was a, it was a good directed movie, but could have benefited from a better script. And, um, I think that's pretty much all I saw as far as like summer goes. There's, I mean, there's stuff that I miss that I do want to catch and I'll probably have to see it on streaming now, which is like, you know, Asteroid City. You know, people are still telling me to check out the Super Mario Brothers movie, aka Jake. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it, but you know, just an interesting summer on some of the stuff that, hit, you know, like, I knew Barbie and Oppenheimer were going to be, I knew they were going to make money, I just didn't think they were going to be this big of a pop cultural phenomenon, and the fact that Warner's put it up against Oppenheimer to really stick it to Christopher Nolan, you know, that's, they'll say that 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 wasn't the intention, but it kind of was, but it really benefited both movies, because Oppenheimer you know, Barbie's obviously the number one movie of the year. It's it's closing in on six hundred million and it's made a billion worldwide, so that's and it's the highest grossing movie domestically for Warner Brothers Pictures ever, so that's just a, an amazing feat in itself. But on the other side of things, the number two movie, Oppenheimer, um it's grossed three hundred million at the box office after never hitting number one at the box office ever. 
So that holds the record. So just I just never imagined it for for these movies that they were going to hit these kind of numbers. I knew they were going to be successful, and the whole Barbenheimer aspect of it it was gonna it was a an event. I knew it was going to be that. I just didn't think it was going to be this huge. So kudos to them for that. And then of course the disappointments of the summer. Um, you know, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny grossing you know, only one hundred and seventy four million. Um, 300 like worldwide, you know, a big bust there for Disney. Um, I know people weren't asking for this movie, but it's Harrison Ford. It's one of the most iconic characters ever. And this is supposed to be the end of that character, especially for Harrison Ford playing him. You thought it would have done better, but the movie had to have been good for that to happen. And I, I thought it was a really, really bad movie. Like I don't even, I don't even plan on buying it to complete my collection, and I own all the Indiana Jones movies, and I love the Indiana Jones movies, even the fourth one, King, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I'm, I'm a, you know, supporter. I am a an apologist, I guess, for that movie. Is that the word I'm looking for? Um, I enjoyed that one a lot, but that one is just miles better, even though it's probably the weakest um, in the first four. But once you watch Dial of Destiny, you're going to have a greater appreciation for Kingdom of Crystal Skull. Like, just unbelievable appreciation. And they completely whiffed on this movie. And I don't know how Harrison Ford, I mean, either he got drugged and and went on these press tours and said, like, how much he enjoyed and how much he thought it was good. But I, there's got to be no way he <laughs> he really liked what the storyline of this was. But to each their own. Um, it's his, his choice. But us, as a, an audience, we rejected it completely. Um, the other... Um, it, it's hard to say if this was a disappointment or not because it's still slowly like making money, although not on the high end. And that's Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. I can acknowledge that it's underperformed for sure, but there are certain factors that come across for this. So, like I like I mentioned, it's still making money. So right now it's at 168 million, um, and it's going to gross more than like Indiana Jones when it's all said and done. So. Um, it'll make more than that. So I know I just mentioned Indiana Jones, but like right now Mission Impossible sits below that movie. But if you look at its worldwide total, it's sitting at over half a billion. So again, this movie does well internationally along with the Fast franchise as Tom Cruise is more of a global superstar and the Fast franchise is more of a global franchise. So that's why these movies continue to get made. Also, it was critically beloved, Dead Reckoning. Like it was, I think it scored like a 97, 98 on Rotten Tomatoes, and with the audience, it scored tremendous as well. And that was also, this is also a movie that's still like selling really good in our theater. So like constantly every weekend, the the showtimes are full for this. Um, so that's in in itself. But what really hurt Mission Impossible, why I think it underperformed, is that it came a few days before the release of Barbie and Oppenheimer, and that really killed it. Like it took away a lot of the the big screens mission impossible was on the imax and it got a one week run and then oppenheimer took over so mission impossible lost a lot of the premium large formatted screens including in our own theater like i remember like mission impossible on week two was like kind of like shoved to like the smaller auditoriums and i was like man this is that's not going to be good because that means the shows are going to sell faster which they did but i think if mission had we kept like maybe one full print in a big house like it still would have done really well because people were were aching for this movie like the demand was there but barbenheimer was just so huge that we had to accommodate it into the bigger screens but so it's really hard i'm gonna have to wait and see when the final numbers finish but 
definitely on the lower end of what it did for the previous movie, Fallout, which was some to be considered the best in the series. Um, I don't think that, but it's, I, I thought, you know, Fallout is really up there, but Dead Reckoning was really, really awesome. And the only thing that also held it back from a, being like a four star kind of movie was, and again, and I mentioned it before, it's a part one of a part two. So, um, maybe the second one is going to be more fleshed out and it'll have, you know, a more cohesive story. And maybe we'll think more of this movie once part two comes out, but that's again, wait and see. And we'll see whenever the strike ends and all that stuff. But yeah, just a very weird fluctuated box office up and down. Uh, you know, we had the highs with guardians and spider verse and then the lows with flash and Indiana Jones. And then mission impossible was just kind of like in the middle. It could be hit or miss. And then the super highs with Barbenheimer and then, you know, back to, a typical August with, you know, Blue Beetle doing just so-so. Ninja Turtles is a surprise little hit also as well, quietly about to gross over a hundred million, but how many versions of the Turtle movies have we gotten? So like, yeah, there was people out for it, but like the hype and, and all that stuff was just kind of just, it's just another movie. But it, it may grow an audience on the home video front and the digital sales and all that stuff and wherever it ends up streaming, I think it'll be Paramount Plus. And we'll see if it, uh, it's also got good reviews, so it may be competing with Spider-Verse for the best animated feature come Oscar time, so that'll be a fun race. I, I still think Spider-Verse is a lock, even though I haven't seen Ninja Turtles, but, um, I guess to compare, I will watch it, but that one I can wait for streaming. I'm not in a rush to see a kid's movie on the, on the big screen, so same thing for Super Mario Brothers, like, Yes, I watch all movies, folks, but if it's not targeted towards me, like, I'm not really, like, in high demand to see it. So, like, Super Mario Brothers was targeted to children, and I'll watch it with my kids. I know, like, my little one liked it, and I'll, I'll wait till she shows up, and, and we can make a day and watch it on Peacock. And probably the same thing for Ninja Turtles. I'll watch it with them, but whenever it shows up on Paramount+. Plus. But, again, these are movies geared towards children so they're not like my focus i'm not the target audience and i have other stuff to look forward to uh, of course the big one being killers of the flower moon and releasing october 20th so that's coming two days after my birthday so it's coming right around a really good time and uh, i think it'll be between this movie and oppenheimer as far as like oscars and best picture even though ferrari looks great with michael mann that trailer dropped looks good with adam driver and shailene woodley and penelope cruz Michael Mann, one of my favorites of all time, um, The King, Heat, uh, so it's going to be a fun Oscar season, um, and then of course with the writer strike and all that stuff, we'll see how <laughs> things end up going, a lot of movies are, are getting pushed, and we'll, we'll see when they end up releasing, the big move was for this year was Dune, which was supposed to come out November 3rd, I believe, and it got pushed to March of next year. So now really the only big releases that we got left on the calendar are like the Marvels. And again, superhero fatigue, I think is real. So we'll see how big of a hit that is. And then in December, you got Wonka and Aquaman really are like your big studio movies that are left. And we haven't seen anything of Aquaman and it's very, very weird. We're about to hit September and we haven't even gotten a teaser trailer yet. And this movie's supposed to release on Christmas. So there's something really weird about that. Uh, I know they kind of did this for Spider-Man, but even Spider-Man had a teaser trailer and whatnot. So that is just very strange. Either the movie's very bad or they're going to delay it and move it. So either they're still trying to fix stuff in post 
We'll see what's up with that. Um, and then Wonka, I don't see the demand for this. I know Timothy Chalamet is kind of in with the younger crowd, so maybe it might do well because of that, but I don't see anybody clamoring for this movie. And the minute I saw the trailer, I was like, this looks like an SNL sketch. Um, but that's it. Wrapping up the summer 2023 season. Let's take uh, one final break, and when we come back, let's talk a little wrestling. There's a... Oh boy, CM Punk, Jesus. This is Palace Off the Top Rope. We'll be right back. The demon, it came back. There's just a pattern. Killings across Europe. One by one, priests, nuns, they were found dead. I know why it's here. I saw what it wants. But we're going after it. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. Chapter 2, rated R, September 8th. Welcome back to the show. The Nun 2 hitting theaters next week, September 8th. Um, like I said, we're entering horror movie season, so we're going to be seeing a bunch of these coming out in the next couple of weeks. I probably won't be checking any of these out on the big screen. And again, it's not that I don't like horror movies, but I can't do the jump scares. So if you got me on a couch at home and it's streaming on Max or Peacock or wherever the case... Um, I'll watch it then. I can wait. There's no rush, but, um, maybe I don't even think I've seen the first nun movie. So there's that. So I'm not even caught up. So I've got to do that first before anything. All right, let's turn our attention to the world of wrestling. And it, for this guy right here, speaking into this microphone, it has been an absolute blast. It's been so fun to be a pro wrestling fan these last couple of months, basically the last like full-on year <clears throat> you know ever since triple h really took over the creative reigns of wwe like the competition between them and AEW has really just brightened and heightened on a level which we really haven't seen since like the peak attitude era days between wwf then and wcw and as a fan you can just enjoy it all right there, i don't understand the tribalism between being on one side against the other. You may like one more than the other, but for the most part, it's just been so fun to just enjoy it all. Uh, WWE has been doing record gates. Uh, their attendance is up. Their ratings have been phenomenal, especially SmackDown. It's usually always number one on Friday nights. And I'm, of course, that's going to change with football coming back and all that stuff. But they've been doing tremendous numbers. Uh, creatively, it's, it's never been better. Uh, it's not the best, but it's definitely way better than, let's say, the last five or six years, or even the last decade with when Vince McMahon was really in charge of things. But ever since Triple H took, kind of took over the creative reins, it's been more of a consistent show. You know, there's obviously still stuff that doesn't work and stuff that's like, oh, why did they go this direction? But for the most part, it's a very coherent show that you can watch on a weekly basis and enjoy. Uh, on the other side of things, AEW has been a little bit of hit and miss with me, um, but certainly this summer with the return of CM Punk and the debut of their second television show, like full-on two-hour television show, Collision, which airs on Saturday nights, it's just been a nice different pace and a different type of show that we get from our usual like Dynamite on Wednesday or Raw on Monday and SmackDown on Friday. It's a more 
very wrestling based centric show. There's not a lot of shenanigans. Um, there's some of it, but not as much as you would see on the other shows. So that's been a real treat for me as a wrestling fan. And that's the one that CM Punk is really featured on. And it's the one, and he, of course he's my favorite wrestler. So it's the one I enjoy the most. You know, I, anything that he does is, is pure gold for me. He's just, he's got the whole package. You know, he can talk, he can wrestle, he's got the character down. So all of that. All of that has been fun to watch, and again, he came back like in June, and that's when that show debuted too. And he's been mostly restricted to that show, even though he's part of AEW as a whole. But as I've said at nauseum on this show, I've I've talked about the the issues that have been there between him and some of the certain talent on that uh, roster, and there's been little stories trickling out here and out throughout the summer about a lot of his. Um, really creative and just dominance over that show collision that airs on Saturdays that he's a part of. He really has a lot of say in what goes on around there. And as far as like what they, what talent can do and cannot do, who can work there, who can't work there. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, Warner's really wanted him to be like the, the head of this television show. And of course he's the biggest star in their company, even though he's, he's, comes with a lot of controversy and a lot of baggage. Um, and I, I'm sure a lot of, of this stuff is way, way overblown in the media. And this you can take this with anything in movies, in politics, even in sports in general. There's just stuff that gets way overblown than what it actually is. But the constant thing is that there's always something circling CM Punk, uh, for better or worse. And AEW right now just had their biggest show like that they've ever put on and that was at Wembley Stadium uh this past Sunday over 80,000 people in attendance for a company that's still in its infancy stages i believe it's barely hitting the 5 year mark that it's been around so it, you know you look at a company like WWE which has just been around for you know more than more like 50 plus years it's been around and you know, for a company this young to do a show like that with an, with a crowd like that is just tremendous. Um, I think the exact attendance was, paid attendance was 81,034. I know there was more people in that building, but as far as like for paid attendance, that's the number and that's a record for the biggest like pro wrestling show like ever. And I know WWE has claimed to have like bigger attendance, but they inflate those numbers and, you know, Part of the good thing of the internet is you have people that actually follow this stuff and I follow the people that look closely at all the the numbers and attendance and all that stuff and they've debunked a lot of the stuff WWE has said about their attendance so um, we can't really take them at their word and even Vince McMahon has stated in the past that the numbers that he puts out for shows like this like a Wrestlemania or something like that they're for entertainment purposes so um, you know when they say like Wrestlemania 32 drew over a hundred thousand people like that's a little bit overblown. I think it did maybe around like the same thing like the Wembley show did about 80, maybe 85,000. But, um, as far as like paid attendance, AW put out that number. And as far as we know, it's the correct number and it's factual and there's nothing bloated about it. So congrats to them on pulling off a show like that, uh, in less than a decade that it's been in existence. So that's incredible for them. It's incredible for us fans where we can just enjoy both of these companies thriving and it's good for competition and it just makes for a better product. 
So now back to the CM Punk thing. So, um, like I said, he has a lot of control over what goes on in Collision. So apparently earlier this summer, there was a spot where one of the wrestlers, his name is uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry, wanted to do a spot where they were going to use like real glass or something like that and i believe he was like vetoed by a lot of people like hey you shouldn't do it shouldn't do it he wanted to go through with it and i think uh whoever was there at the time brought this issue up to cm punk cm punk uh put his foot down and said hey you're not gonna do this spot and that's something that we don't do on this show it's more just just stick to the wrestling you know why why at the the over theatrics of something like that so CM Punk got his way, and that that angle never happened with the glass. Fast forward to the All In pay per view where they had the eighty thousand people in attendance for Wembley. Um, Jack Perry had a match with Hook for the FTW title, and it was like a hardcore match. So they're doing their thing, and then they do. I I, I haven't seen the All In event, so I I don't really know the specifics on it other than what I've read and what I've heard on YouTube videos and stuff like that. So he's having this match with uh, with Hook, and there comes a point where they 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 come to they do a spot with the car, and he does like some sort of flip onto Hook or whatever, and there's obviously the glass window right and on the car, and he breaks it and all that, and Jungle Boy Jack Perry looks at the camera and says, "Look, it's real glass. Cry me a river," and. Just going based on what has happened in the past, and we know that CM Punk is very old school and has a quick fuse. We all know that was a direct shot to him. So apparently after that was through, um, in the backstage area, like near like where the wrestlers have their entrance and all that stuff, and I think where Tony Khan is stationed, you know, he's running the show and all that stuff, and he's the owner of the company. Uh, apparently Jack Perry and CM Punk got into an altercation. Uh, there's all these stories out from media journalists from both sides saying what happened. The fact of the matter is there was an altercation that happened and it kind of put things into a fray a little bit because I believe one of the outbursts from it was CM Punk wanting to quit on the spot and not even do the show, which he was going to be the opening match on the actual pay-per-view of that telecast, which would have been a horrific thing to happen on the biggest show uh, in that company's history. Cooler Heads prevailed. Uh, Samoa Joe, who was going to be fighting CM Punk on that event, uh, was able to convince him to like, hey, like, let's break up this altercation. Uh, let's settle down a bit and let's just go have the match. Let's go do something great for the crowd. So they were able to get that done and CM Punk and Samoa Joe went out and they had their match. And again, we didn't hear about any of this. Probably towards like the midway part of the show, um, I was following on X, uh, when I could, I was at work that day, <laughs> wasn't allowed the day off, so, uh, had to work, and, uh, so I was able to catch up whenever I was able to take breathers and step away for a second and catch up online, and, uh, I think I saw about a little bit more than like halfway into the shows where you found out about all this stuff that was happening, and it's just like, oh man, like here we go again, like everything's just just going so good. CM Punk had just come back. Yes, there's this stuff of him being like a little controlling on that show, but for the most part, the show's great. If anything, it's probably the best wrestling show that's out there right now. But there just seems to be always something that happens, and and here we are again at the at the midst of another like controversial fight that happened for real behind the scenes and now we got word yesterday that cm punk 
and Jack Perry have both been suspended from AEW. Now, we don't know for how long. Now, what makes this kind of an issue right now for AEW is that right now they got three big shows coming up all in the city of Chicago, one of them being a pay-per-view, even though they had one last week. Uh, it's also going to be in Chicago, and the big hometown hero of Chicago is CM Punk. A lot of the people that bought their tickets for this event are buying it because of CM Punk. Now, I'm saying he's not the end-all, be-all for some, everybody buying a ticket, but for a majority, that's the person that they want to see. Um, and he's the draw, the top draw of the company. And now you're suspending him again, and I, and I get it, he's at fault here for what happened, but it was also instigated by someone else. And this just goes back to everything that happened last year at All Out between CM Punk and the Elite with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, where none of this was actually ever really resolved, and it was never really, the hammer never got put down by the CEO and owner, Tony Khan. He never got these people in a room to figure out their differences and, and all that stuff, or just to squash it, you know, be professionals. Instead, you know, lawyers have gotten involved and... I know from like the CM Punk side of things, like he's been willing to like sit down and want to talk to these people, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, but they don't want anything to do with him. But again, if they were just talent, I would be okay with that. But they are also executive vice presidents of the company. And from a business standpoint, you need to be professionals also. And if he's willing to talk things out, you should be able to swallow your pride a little bit and have that conversation too, even though it may be... A little uncomfortable, a little awkward, but at least you'll have like the person in charge of the entire thing there. You can have all of HR there present as well. Like, how are you not willing to have like those conversations? So anyway, that's created such a friction in the locker room, that, and that's why that this other Saturday show exists, and that's why CM Punk is mostly on that one, and the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, the Elite, remain on Dynamite. So again, it. It's cool for us fans to have another wrestling show and we can see other talent um, showcase, which is, that's the positive of having that second show. But underneath, like, you're really, like, just trying to cover the huge elephant in the room is that it's mainly to keep those wrestlers separated. And where Jack Perry comes into play, like, I don't know, that's, I don't know if CM Punk's just a ticking time bomb for everything, but the fact that he continues to poke at the bear, like, that's just not a good thing. Did we not learn anything from last year? Um, had he done the spot and not said anything, who knows if anything would have happened or if CM Punk would have even known about it until after the fact. Maybe you just would have had him not appear on Collision anymore, which would have been better than a physical altercation, which happened. And here we are again, and I'm, I'm bummed because CM Punk is my favorite wrestler, and I was super excited about all the stuff he was doing on television. He's been doing great matches and great storylines, and, you know, they were going to be back in Chicago where we know he would have gotten cheered for sure. His reactions since coming back have been kind of mixed, a little bit like John Cena where you have half the people cheering, half the people booing, but either way it's a reaction, so that's what you want in your wrestler. You'd rather get a reaction than nothing at all, so um, it's just, it's interesting to see what's going to happen now. And the fact that Tony Khan has never really put his foot down with a lot of stuff, like, it's it's incredible to see if he's going to do it now. But the fact that they're close to, like, their television deal coming up and it getting renewed and whatnot, and the fact that Warners really wants that collision show to be a success, and the reason they need it to be a success and it will be a success is if they have CM Punk on it because he is the top draw whether you like it or not. 
whether you want to admit it or not, he is a draw for that company. And if you don't have him on it, that doesn't look good for the fate of that show. And also, the other thing is that there's going to be college football coming up in the fall with everything starting up. The NFL eventually will have games on Saturday, you know, when we get to the latter part of, of, of the of the year with Christmas and all that stuff. There's going to be games on Saturday. WWE will eventually uh, have a pay-per-view here and there. Their pay-per-views have now shifted to Saturdays, so that's another thing. So if you don't have CM Punk on that show to kind of like balance that out a little bit, it may just end up becoming another Rampage, and that's really not what Warner's wants for this show. They want it to be like on the same level as like a dynamite where it may not draw the same numbers, but it's drawing higher than anything else would on a Saturday and you treat it as a, a like a, as another A type show with, you know, big talent on it. If you don't have CM Punk, I don't know. But yes, there is a constant and I can call it out. There is like, I don't know what it is with CM Punk and I know he's very, he's got a lot of pride and stubborn and he and he's stuck on his ways and yes is there better ways he can handle conflict yes but on the other side of things like those people need to be reprimanded too like stop uh you know throwing out lines on social media and you know calling people out like i mean again this goes back to the elite and the cm punk thing originally like he wants to sit down and have a discussion and talk this thing out and there just seems to be like no end to this and Really, you could put blame on everybody there, but at the end of the day, it comes down to Tony Khan. He is the sole owner of that company, and he has yet to really say anything on it or really like point out that it's a problem. Every time he's asked about it on, in media scrums or on media calls, and he kind of just sidesteps it. I think the most he ever addressed it was like, hey, everybody's not always going to get along. But when it's getting to that point where there's like physical fights happening, like you need to do something about it. And that's the only negative I can really say on Tony Khan. And, and that's the big stain that AEW has right now is no really discipline when it comes to that. So, you know, if I were him, I'd get the entire locker room, including Punk, including the elite, have them all together in a one big meeting and being like, hey, like going forward, if any of this stuff happens, if anybody tries to take a shot at anybody, you know, in on camera, you know, through social media, have put it put a guideline that you cannot be taking shots at people. And also you cannot be starting physical altercations in the back. You know, if there are problems, bring it up to management, have a sit down, talk it out. You know, that's I mean, I think that's just the best thing you could do. Better than not doing anything and letting stuff escalate and then it turns into like where all the focus is on that instead of like the biggest show that you just pulled off. We're talking about this instead of like the historic show that you just pulled off in Wembley Stadium. Biggest paid attendance ever for a pro wrestling show. And we're talking about this. So a lot of that is on Tony Khan. Yes, you can blame Punk. You can be mad at him for all that. But that also comes down to Tony Khan not doing anything about it. It's on him. He has to be a better leader when it comes to that. If that was happening in my building, I would make sure to put a stop to it and not let it continue and act as if everything's okay and just be like, oh, well, you know, shit happens. No, be a better leader. Get your talent under control. Everybody. Yes, most everybody online can mostly be mad at CM Punk. That's fine. But everyone is to blame here on, the, on every end of the spectrum, and it's including the very top, Tony Khan. 
But other than that drama, which, I mean, if it were happening to anybody else, it's fine. But the fact that it involves my favorite wrestler, CM Punk, it's just, it's frustrating because he's good. When he's on television, like, everything is, is, is entertaining. It's engaging. And it gets me super excited as a wrestling fan. And there's other stuff too that I'm invested in, but he is the number one reason why, like, I, my passion for wrestling is still at an all time high. It's because of him. So. I really hope things get resolved, and I don't know, this, I mean, if I'm being frank, I really think this might be the end of his run in AEW, and if that's the case, like, I mean, that sucks, because there's a lot of stuff there that I thought he was going to be able to do there with some of the really young talent that they have, but then, you know, I try to be optimistic, well, maybe he can go back to WWE, but would WWE want that on their hands, and but over the over at WWE, I know it's more structured where they're not going to let stuff like that get out of hand. They will they will put the hammer down. So maybe that's all CM Punk's looking for is structure. You know, sometimes that's all like employees are looking for is structure and leadership. And right now, Tony Khan is not providing any of that on that level. They're they're hitting home runs on everything else. Talent, their roster is great. Their shows are great. Their pay per views are great. Their merchandise is great. Their toys and all that stuff. It's amazing. Be a better leader when it comes to your roster and when it comes to issues of um, people not getting along. You know, they, they don't have to like each other, but you have to respect each other in the workplace or have enough courage to get everybody in a room and talk things out. Even if you can get just things to a civil level. You don't have to get them to be best friends, but you have to get them to work with each other and just go make fucking money. Like, that's what it's all about at the end. It's a business. But... I don't know. There's just two generations colliding right now. CM Punk's part of that older generation. And a lot of the AEW roster is super young and they got their own thing. And, you know, it's not really a, a good mix right now. But if they have the leadership, they can get that under control. So, Tony Khan, it's on you, man. It's on you to get it done. And I think that's enough ranting for, for this. But, again, I'm loving wrestling. I hate that there's drama right now, but it's also, like, fun to read about. But... I would prefer it not be there and it just be more about the wrestling storylines, but hey, it is what it is. Um, anyways, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Again, we got the football show coming up this weekend, which you can vote on right now on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, X. Go vote now and we're going to unveil the title when we record this weekend. Um, I mentioned the three of us, Abraham, Jake, and myself. Uh, Jake, unfortunately, will not be able to make it to this weekend's first episode. You know, work, life, uh, stuff gets in the way, so we're not going to fault each other if anybody can't make the show. So, But it's still going to go on regardless weekly. There may be times where maybe Abe and Jake can't make it. I'll do the show solo. There's some times where I won't be able to make it, and Abe and Jake can do the show. Or, you know, just there's all these different combinations. We're going to talk about bringing in special guests. Um yeah, just all, all things NFL, and it's coming up. Season starts September 7th, so again, this weekend we'll be recording and we'll be doing all of our picks, uh, divisional winners, who we think is going to come out of the NFC, AFC, and then, of course, who's going to play in Super Bowl 58 from Las Vegas, Allegiant Stadium on February, whatever it is. <laughs> just know it's in February, that's all. But that's all coming up, and again, thanks for tuning into this podcast. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. It's on all the platforms. Give me the stars, the clicks, and all that stuff. I really greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast. I love doing it. Again, the writer's strike and everything's going on, so there's going to be not a lot of TV, 
not a lot of movies coming out soon stuff that i mean there's a couple of things that i'm still invested in that you'll you'll get my thoughts on but they're going to be coming here and there so and i know I, i haven't put out episodes as much as i want to but you know again I really only want to put out episodes if there's stuff that there needs to be talked about. And this was a good one to really pile in a lot of the stuff that I didn't get to cover in the summer movie season. But thank you for tuning in, guys. Um, hopefully this wrestling drama gets resolved. There's two pay-per-views this weekend. Uh, we'll see what happens. But thank you, guys. God bless you. We'll see you on the next episode.